Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. ancient Greece and Rome, and they invite you to celebrate with them. Welcome to Voice of Olympus. Greetings and welcome to Voice of Olympus. This is your host, Hercules Invictus, and today we have Archons and Aeons, uh, new programming uh, for the fourth Monday of the month. Um, Right now I'm experiencing a technical difficulty with connectivity, so I will put on a song while I try to solve it, and we'll be back uh, very shortly. I am the king of dreams. 
Greetings and welcome. This is Hercules Invictus, and you're listening to Voice of Olympus. And today's episode is Archons and Aeons, and our first guests are Mark and Phyllis Brinkerhoff uh, for the Celestial Chariot segment, and they will be speaking about Ashtar Command. Greetings and welcome. Hey. Hey. Hi, Hercules. Hello. How are you? Okay. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for uh, coming on. <laughs> Long time no speak to. Uh, now, I am. I, you and I, our tales were uh, featured in Ashtar's The Space Brothers Speak, Transmissions from the Solar uh, Council, and that's how we connected. And uh, uh, we discovered that we knew people in common, and not only Tim Beckley, but also Nick Curdo of the Disclosure Network. And uh, we've had some very interesting uh, conversations since that time. Uh, and uh, you've said some amazing things, both of you, uh, that I'd like to share uh, through this uh, platform. So uh, uh, I guess we'll start with what type of circumstances does humanity find itself in from the perspective of the Ashtar Command? Lots of people have been saying that they find themselves thinking they're in uh, an alternate reality, uh, and things have gotten very extreme. And uh, um, so from a spiritual perspective, where is the human race right now? Hmm, that's a good question. Thank you. From a spiritual perspective, where is the human race? Are we thinking of scales? <laughs> like one to ten? <laughs> well, um, you can you can you can uh, um, describe it in that way, but uh, the Ashtar Command, uh, as well as other uh, spiritual uh, um, monitoring uh, organizations, I guess that's one way of putting them, uh, have mm-hmm. expressed that uh, humanity is at a critical uh, point in its development, and this is a time to make choices. And it's the time to take uh, action. So, uh, That's right. uh, can you describe, from the perspective of Ashtar Intergalactic Command, uh, what is the crisis, and what does humanity need to do to survive the crisis? Thanks. Yeah, Hercules, the the, the Ashtar uh, Sharan has mentioned in the past to us, even in space and on our meetings, how it is getting very close now for the planet the physical planet densities as well, um, to they have to get their energies up. The galaxy is moving in different energy in space. And the souls who are on physical life form bodies on these different dense planets are going to have a chance to basically like leave this galaxy or leave the planet physicals and get onto the next dimensional spaces where they can have life form too, onto the low etheric, mid etheric levels where they can actually be born or have children in some of those levels. But the thing is, is mankind on this density of the physical has been, um, let's say, stagnating, I guess, or, or uh, going back and forth, falling back and forth into the reincarnational cycle or the wheel where they keep mm-hmm. coming back, even if they don't have to come back. Sometimes they just want to come back or they're drawn to come back to their family and friends that they've met and known in past times here on the planet. So sometimes they can work all these things out on the other side. They don't have to keep coming back. But um, we found things like guilt and uh, unforgiveness can bring people back, too, to just work stuff, yeah. stuff out, not just murdering people or you know killing. But what's happened with Ashtar, and what he's mentioned to us, 
is that um, in one way it was a metaphor. They said uh, he said uh, it, when is uh, when are the people going to like get it together? <laughs> okay, I guess that's the best words for it um, because their time for hand holding has gone on too long. He, he's been working here for over five thousand way over 5,000 Earth years um, in, th- in thought that when they work here and come around our planet. And we're talking even the ancient astronaut theories. You know, these beings and different ones came here to the planet, yes, to work with different people or tribes or what? groups, but not all were of, um, let's say, super benevolent. They were benevolent, but some of them wanted things from the planet, so they might have created systems set up where they can get resources um, you know, maybe gold or different things that were set up because some of their craft used gold and and some of their um, ways of eating or putting gold in their mouth in powdered form actually is something they do in these ancient times and these other species of space people who look mm-hmm. sort of human, but not always. Some of them could look like the insectoid type or a reptilian type. Not all reptilians are bad, these beings, or sauroids, but um, there are definitely ones that just want to manipulate people and take over if they can. So what Ashtar was meaning back in those days, uh, in the ancient times as well as now, he said they've been hand-holding the, the, we're like toddlers, the humans are like little kids, you know, they get distracted, but a spiritual toddler, basic, not a little baby, but um, they get distracted, you know, by things right now, distractions are uh, texting, computers, and all this stuff going on, blocking their hearing of the higher attunement that they could actually hear, like an angel, an archangel, a guardian angel, or their guides, or even their higher self speaking to them. If they're wearing headphones with music, they're not going to hear that intuitive pull or the whispering or even the voice speaking to them as an angel has done. They can speak to us and help us get a guide us out of a way of something. Um, so he meant like the space people in these high realms right now have been monitoring and helping and they're guiding and guiding. But he, he's saying what he wanted was to let people know the time is getting close where the frequencies to be upgraded higher and higher. you got to focus on the creator, focus on the light, for focusing on doing the good for all humans and all animal life as well, all, all life. So that upgrade your energy in a sense. People call it upgrading or DNA upgrading. It's all combined with that, with the solar energies as well on a physical uh-huh. density. When the solar has expansions of light, like radiation outputs in different thousands of years and stuff, the genetic material in the physical forms change. And that's when you see a lot of new species come forth. Well, right now, the solar energies have been changing for about 20 years at least or more. And the species are being, there are still new species being formed and found. So um, it's happening all the time for genetic upgrade with the genetic code. And some species, of course, go extinct because they can't handle it. So what he meant in, in a gentle way was like, give the people the warning. Let them know time is getting close. Our poles are shifting around. There's things happening on our planet, physical, in the solar system as well. And um, they have some time to get, get their acts together, get their mind on the frequencies of light, of love, of oneness with their, with their oneness and brotherhood and sisterhood of, of all beings. And... Um, to get access to the higher realms where you wouldn't have to keep reincarnating back and forth and get to those other levels because that's where our true home is. These are the test grounds or, the, or the, like, again, we call it boot camp. It's a boot camp, dense physical planet. People <laughs> the training. There's a lot of training going on and testing, but uh, all good. But all the people who come in to form a physical body to take a lifetime 
are are like spiritual warriors trying to do the best they can in battle f- for the uh, good of all creator and all the light. And that's why they come down usually to help. Now, uh, we spoke earlier, uh, there are some uh, groups of people who uh, call the Ashtar Command uh, evil, but in the Ashtar Command literature, uh, and uh, through the people working with uh, the Ashtar Command, uh, Ashtar Command is here to battle uh, negativity and evil. So mm-hmm. how would you, like, what explanation would you give to someone who mistrusts uh, um, your spiritual guidance and, you know, will from someplace and uh, without looking at what you're doing um, believe that you serve darkness. Yeah, right, yeah. That's well, they what, have to test the spirit, too. Yeah. That's Phyllis. Hi, Phyllis. <laughs> saying hi. Hi. <laughs> we, we, um, we're, we're both raised Christian or in different modes, Catholic and everything, and we call ourselves basically cosmic Christians because we know who creator and we know, recognize Christ, and I recognize who he is and know who he is. So it's not like I don't believe in him, I know him. And so our thing is to always let, he's told me, to test spirits all the time. Um, you test the three times, uh, and um, if a being comes through channeling, we don't do that. But if, if it does, you test it. Don't just to go along with what the being says, everybody. And play. don't play with Ouija boards. Don't play with things okay. like that. Or kind of geomantria type stuff where it pulls beings in because sometimes the beings will pretend and they're really low astrals or low negative beings and they just pretend to be the being or person that they're calling on. Like, But it's not to say that our grandmother or somebody coming by cannot be heard by a seer or a, a, a highly advanced intuitive and they, they're telling you exactly what your grandmother did or said and only she and you knew the you know grandmas and moms and dads. They, only the people knew about that information, so that would be a true, you know, intuitive pulling through a real a person to speak from the other realm. Because um, even we can all do that. Could you also Some say people. that right. if somebody thought they were uh, channeling Ashtar and they wanted to to um, ascertain whether it was him or not, they could just do it. Mark will tell you how to do it. Also. Yeah. Um, well, it's like we got to uh, say three times, uh, call out them in the name of Yehoshua or Sananda of Jesus Christ or Yehoshua Christ three times. And you say, in the name of Yehoshua or Jesus Christ, I command you to give me your, tell me who you are and where you're from. And these beings, when you say three times, they have to say who they are. And if they say a strange name or they can't say anything because they can't, they don't know what to say because they may be a bunch of them but don't have a name then you can cast them out. And another way you test them is you say, if you are of the light and of the so much, you know, whatever they're p- pretending to be, say the name Yehoshua or Jesus Christ three times to me. And if they can't, they have to leave and they will run. Because you can, uh, by his name, they get cast out because they can't speak his name. They cannot because they don't like the light. They don't like love. They don't like anything like that. And the most har- the best weapon against all these beings, demonics as well, is the blood of Yehoshua. The Christ, the mystical blood of Christ, which was taken on this planet when he was here, and uh, he became that blood mixed in with the physical earth densities, and that became the weapon. And that's the major weapon that people just don't know is available. They just have to know it's real, and he is there when they do it. Well, I think Call it on. part of the problem is, for instance, uh, Ashtar answers to Yehoshua, and that was one of the 
uh, questions I think that Tim Beckley had asked Mark uh, to find out. You know, some people think Ashtar is a messiah, but no, no. Um, he literally takes directions from He takes directions from Amanda. Yep. And he, ta he speaks about it all the time. When I'm in the councils or any of those meetings we've seen in uh, space when we're out of body, or I call it soul travel, um, that we all see what's going on. And, and Sananda, or known as Yehoshua and the Christ on the earth, Sananda is there in his highest form as the androgynous light being of beauty. And uh, we feel that. And I know he told me when he transfigured on the mountain in front of his apostles, he transfigured into his over part, his Sananda, the golden light part of him, so that no one okay. recognized him. Even you know, like when he walked and nobody recognized him, they, he was him walking down the road. He said he wasn't looking like he did on Earth the way they expected him, uh, or how they saw him. But they were going by the energy. So this is the way to cancel out these beings. And if anybody does do anything with a Ouija board out there for games or what they do, or they should. They, or a pendulum should take some kind of um, blessed holy waters or oils and just bless it. And you could bless it with a circle and a cross in the center. They could do it three times and three crosses in the center, however they want to do it, like circle, cross, circle, cross, circle, cross. And you say, you, and, and you bless it in that way, and you say, uh, bring down the light and the mystical blood of Christ to pour upon everything here, right, from the crown of our heads to the soles of our feet to our room, you know, things like that. And people... Um, when you do that, you could see it as a magenta color coming in as bright light and then turn it into pure bliss, blazing white light with diamonds and sparkles all through it. And that's how the mystical blood of Christ is poured on upon us as well. And so this is my teachings ever since I can remember, since the late 60s, early 70s. And it always works. And it casts out negative beings and different... You know, but again, the power and the trust and the belief in Christ, you have to know and trust what you're speaking is truth. Because uh, the negative beings can sense when we're faking them or doubting, and they can uh, harass people. But well, you know what we find is most most people do not <coughs> test test their channels. No, we found that too. Right. You know, and they listen to stuff that's not true, and and then they get taken down some path, or they post stuff, and then it's not true. Well, here here's online. a funny little story. Uh, one day, I, w I just for the heck of it, I was test I tested Mark because he was talking to my angel, because I always tell him, oh, will you please get my angel and ask her this or that. And I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to tell me who you are. And I said it three times. And, and then she but said, I had well, no idea you were going to do that. He, he, no, I, no, I just pulled it on him. <laughs> like I, I just sprung it on him. <laughs> and, so my and I could see her angel t in the intuitive in third eye area as well. That's as a glow. And, <laughs> and what she did was remarkable. You know, she... She said that she, you know, that she was my angel, and you know, she said what she needed to say. But she said every time I said the name of Jesus Christ, she bowed her head yeah. as I said it. Yeah. Just to give you a little, you know, insight. It's, I, I wasn't expecting anything when that happened. She just pulled that fast, and she said it real fast. Like, okay, I'm gonna. <laughs> and the angel just kept doing that and smiling. And then she says her name. She tells her name that we know her as. And then she says. I'm a messenger of the of the king on high, the creator. Yeah, she says that. Uh, that's how they do it when they're really, uh, when you tell them and ask them, you know, give me your truth and who you are. So Arch Archangel Mikael would do the same thing. <laughs> he's the he's the warrior for them all, right? <laughs> and they all work together, you know, Ashtar and all of them. You know, this is the, the on the realms, you know, the 
realms over the tenth, ninth, and tenth. The and alliances. Seventh, yeah. You should speak to the about the alliances and and what that actually feels and looks like with all of these incredible beings that we will one day be ourselves. And your higher selves and overparts are all up working on the highest realms up there. It's it's bliss. It's love. It's beauty. But they work within that realm of the light with the angels, all the angelic types of beings out there. And in space, we're with the angels. That we're all working together, and it's a, it's fun. And yet the beings that are known as angels, or the, the ones sent from the Creator first, are different than us as soul, but they can form in any form they need. So they're, when you see them, you're seeing these beautiful, magnificent, beautiful beings of any color, any hair color and design and, and beauty. And... Um, we have solar angels, we have uh, cosmic great galactic angels, <laughs> all kinds of angels working out there. And and, and Archangel Michael is out there, and uh, he's in charge of a lot of different, let's call it the armies, but they don't normally think of his armies of military like we have, but they're the warrior-type beings who stand up for everyone and, and, the, and the souls. And so um, when Ashtar has been linked to, or people say, oh, he's a demonic being or he's a fallen angel, including the name Sananda. Um, yeah. They have no, I don't know where they get this reference from because there's nothing in the biblical text or in ancient text where, um, in old books that they have where the angels are listed. Those names do not exist in those books. But they like to call some other name, like a, we have Ashtar. There's a name Astara, some kind of strange name like that that might yeah. be an old name. There is is that an the old name you've heard of it? Yeah. Ishtar, I think that's yes, where confusing him. And Astarte. And, uh, uh, Ash, Maybe that's the name. Astarte uh, and Astarte. Uh, there were different variations of it, but uh, in the beginning when Ashtar's uh, communications first went uh, public, um, yep. a lot of people pointed that out. And uh, uh, Ashtaroth is the, the, the male version of that name, and uh, uh, he's accounted in some literature as a demonic entity. So they that's, uh, that's the one back to, uh, to Ashtar. Yeah, I have an old book, too, called like All These Angels, and they have all names. It's called uh, Dictionary of Angels, Including Fallen. Yeah, and that name is in there, but, this, but not this Ashtar. A, this is a very interesting point because what we're talking about here is ancient fake news. Yep, we call it that. We call it ancient <laughs> fake news, and things get twisted and down through time. And I, I, I mean, it's a little bit. Uh, we sound arrogant sometimes. Because, Sorry. You know, yeah, Mark too. has this access, <laughs> and it's and I haven't met people who have had his access. I mean, maybe Ingle had the access, but we never spoke about these things. We used to just hang out with him because we were friends. But Mark has the access to to speak with these beings on these higher levels if he wants to. We just don't do it. He only speaks with his oversoul and his crew, and occasionally, you know, Ashtar pops in. But we don't go after trying no. to... Actually, yeah, we don't right. make an I effort to speak with him. I he, don't bug anybody. But you, you, you did it for you did it for uh, he did it for Tim. I did Tim, it for Tim. Yeah, he did it for Tim. Well, actually, went out of body and asked Ashtar what we should do, and you know, and um, and this is the part I think I told you the other day is Phil's never talking with you. Um, when we were asked, we were doing these lectures, and we were asked to do a lecture at MUFON in June 18th, and we were mm-hmm. saying, what are we going to speak mm-hmm. about? Because we think the we knew the MUFON friends and people we knew were more into nuts and bolts, more physical densities. Right. But they've been changing their way more into getting into 
dimensions as well. Mm-hmm. ETs that are interdimensional. So that left it open. So when we told, we asked Astro, what do you want us to touch on, crew, everybody else up there? And he tuned in right away through the my gang of my crew. I say, when we're up with him, we're together, and I can see through my eyes of my oversoul, and I can look right at Ashtar, and he's he's looking back at me, but not as Mark. That's my other self. So I'm viewing. having that remote viewing right. effect right there. You got like being out there mentally. You're out there. So he says, first he said, okay, he says, give them give them the works. Or, no, he said, give them what they can handle. Okay, and I said, okay. So, yeah, so some of the solar stuff that's happening on planet Earth and in, and in this whole galaxy and solar systems. And then he looked back at us as if he was, they were telepathing back and forth with each other. And then he said, no, give them the works and what they can handle at the time, too. If, but give them the works. If they can handle it, give it to them because there's not enough time left. Right. And that was my message to the MUFON. And we gave them the works. <laughs> And they came at standing ovation about a hundred people. <laughs> Phil was like, "They're all standing up." I was like, "What?" But they came up later and they're saying, "What?" You know, they were all into this and trying to figure out more. And some people even got and understood some of the information we'd said. So this is what we're our new, um, let's say, call to arms or mission here is to is to reveal as much truth as we can. And even Sananda told me, or Yoshua told me, to reveal the truth. And I said the truth is we know here on planet Earth or what we know in space as well or what? And he said, no, what you know in space and on Earth. And I went, oh. Right. I said, that's dangerous for me. But he said, no, no, it's the truth. Because the truth had been misconstrued down here as it went through centuries and centuries. Like saying Jesus got married to Mary Magdalene and moved to France. Or he married somebody in India and moved to India and has children. Well, that's not true. He says he was a celibate here. Purposely, he was not involved with anyone because he considers everyone his children. <laughs> We're all like okay. the children. Okay. So he in a, and so so not to leave a DNA uh, print here on this planet because then that would create an ego in that family group and they would and a royalty, put, put a, a royalty, royalty on in their mind. You know we're better than you, but they're not healing anybody. So I don't know. But the thing is, is he said no. This was a not to happen at all. And and uh, these lies were going around because there might have been other people out there. He told me there were other people pretending to be him um, when he basically left. They left other countries and pretended they were maybe him. And um, like other people could heal in uh, people in the name of Christ in that time. And his name was Yehoshua, um, which means Yahweh saves. So if they said, in the name of Yehoshua the Christ, or whatever in their ancient language, be the healed, and people were being healed. And so some, one time the apostles were uh, in town, and they were upset by a man that was healing in the name of Yehoshua. And the Creator in Yahweh's name, and they said, Master, uh, Rabbi, there's somebody in town doing this. I can't remember the scripture. I'm not good at that. But there's somebody going around town healing in your name and speaking, uh, and they're not. He's not part of our group here. He's not part of us. And so Yehoshua says, Well, is he saying anything against us? And they said, No. <laughs> is he saying anything bad? And is it about me or Creator you know, or whatever? Is he doing anything wrong? And they said, No, not really. He's healing people. Then he said, then he's not. if he's not against us, he's with us, leave him alone. And that just mm. takes us into a whole new religious thing, right? With all the religions that are here trying to promote so much stuff and say, we're better than you. And if you believe in a UFO or uh, spaceships, which were all over the Bible, if everybody reads the Bible, because I've read the Bible, 
and it's in there. Uh-huh. You know, the chariots of fire, the lights over the mount, the this and the that, the voice from the cloud. These are all what happens in actual encounters. And Yehoshua levitates into the into the cloud, and uh, the cloud moves away. Um, if they understood that and say, you know, if you're seeing a UFO or something, it's a demon. If you're hearing a voice that's coming from this part, it's a demon. Everything's a demon, and it's not. Yeah. Yeshua said, "Test the spirits." He meant that. You know, that's what he meant. And don't think I, 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 I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was baptized. I was this. I'm testing spirits since I was a little kid, and I've actually helped with things and with healing in His name, and uh, animals, especially animals, because I, I was working with animals as a little kid. I took frogs that were drowned in a pool in the chlorine, and I, uh, lifeguards threw them into the grass. And I said, "How long have they been in there?" And he goes, "Who knows." Last time the thing was cleared, <laughs> the filters. So I just took their little bodies, and I was about 12 years old, and I took their little bodies and took them over to a, a cement area where no one saw me, kind of, and I was laying them out, and I was doing little things like little fake resuscitations on their little tummies and rubbing their tummies and chests, and I'd pull the little arms, and I'd say, be healed, be healed, wake, wake, wake. Creator loves you, you know, God loves you, this and that. And then the little tummies would breathe and they got up and turned around and, and they were like dazed and remember these were in a chlorine pool and it should you know kills them actually so the yeah. life one lifeguards yeah. came over to see that and he saw them popping away and he said are those the frogs i threw in the grass he, i said yeah he says what what happened i said i don't know i was praying <laughs> asking them to come back <laughs> Well, anyway, that not, can happen. Let's not get everybody all excited because that, that's not really what you're up into no, today. No, but that, that's what I mean. That can happen. That can happen with people and anyone if they trust. That's all it is. And uh, so, what, did we finish about Ashtar? Well, and what I think was what we're trying to say here that is that Ashtar group? is working on these highest levels. But one of the things uh, that's interesting about Ashtar, uh, I, I learn all these things from Mark, by the way. None of, none of this is is mine. I learned it from him, but I ask a lot of questions, and um, I'm his greatest student. I'm his best student. Uh, <laughs> Forty and, years almost, right? And Ashtar, and I said, well, what levels does Ashtar come from? Well, he, you know, he's from the same levels that we are. I said, but you know, we 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 can't get into the lower, the lower, you know, etheric levels as easy as he can. And he says, and Mark said that's because he elects to work at these lower levels, lowers his frequency and the frequency of his crew to work into the uh, uh, the fourth etheric level yep. so that they can actually come into a third-dimensional planet and stay for a little while. Yep. Whereas Mark's crew, who is working more from, you know, from the higher realms down maybe to the sixth, um, more likely rather than, let's say, the fourth, can't really take a... Um, get into this realm very easily without looking transparent or whatever. So so Ashtar has really taken on quite a um a mission, you might say, over the, yep. these millions of years working in these lower etheric levels so that he can really his his crew and which part probably most of the people yeah, a lot of higher selves are working listening crew. to this call probably <laughs> are on the ships at night. Um are you know, can work with the, the third dimensional or let's say the physical people the people on physical plant density planet. That's right, yeah, they'll see them in the sky appear and disappear and teleport and come down. And uh, most pe- ships around the planet are from the crews of the Alliance groups and Ashtar's crews. They're the Alliance monitoring the planet Earth all the time. The spheres, the silver spheres, the white spheres or sons, they call them, S-O-H-N. 
So it makes uh-huh. a whole new thing when they told me, remember the sons of God? Remember that in the ancient text? I went, yeah. Well, they were, didn't know what they were speaking about, but in those days that was they were known as that. Those are sons. They thought they were lights. They thought they were actual beings, these little silver or white spheres high in the sky monitoring. And uh, they're 30-foot diameter, some of them, and they have people in them. Cause, uh, they're, but there's small ones, too. They can make these little spheres that are about five or six inches to three feet diameter. They can appear as a disc, a little disc or a little spheric ball, like white or gold or blue or gray. It doesn't matter. Gunmetal. Did, did you want to speak to the um, the possibility of a global evacuation? Should there be a, um, a that, need? That was my right. next uh, question. You read my mind, folks. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> Thanks, sir. Great mind, Oh, man. Yeah, you're strong, kiddo. <laughs> Hercules is a powerful man. Um, just in case anybody wondered, Hercules, you know, I know you know, but does everybody mm-hmm. out there know mm-hmm. that you really are that being? Yeah, we, <laughs> I want um, people to know we, that. We realize I, that. I went too. out there, I checked you all out, and I was, I was laughing. We were having a ball. On the high realms, you were. And are now basically called it reincarnation, but it's basically you came from that times way back, let's say ten thousand, seven, eight thousand years ago, maybe way back when they the crews came, the different people came, and they are the the beings that were the mythological mythological teachings are based on yeah. truths, yeah. and yeah. The, the beings came from space. They're ten feet, twelve feet tall, some of them taller, twenty feet yeah. even. That's where those giant steps are in those underwater things and out here. <laughs> In the, on planet Earth right now, that these steps, but, they, but things happened where times you know shifted, things went on, and those maybe they got buried, but now they're come back again. So people are finding the truth, and uh, they based it on those actual ancient stories, which weren't stories based on true stories. And then they mythologically changed a few of the stories, you know, to make it more exciting. Whatever they did, but the thing was based on the truth, and uh, the truth is the truth, and that's not only why you're back. But I think that's why we're all back here and just trying to help again. All these people that we're meeting today have come back in different ways. But at this particular moment yeah. in time. Yeah, at this time, which is a very important time. Nobody I, I understands it. That it's a special. Well, uh, it's, uh, the, as you say, things are understood on a higher level uh, that here sound, uh, um, they don't, People can't understand it because of their understanding of what life is all about. Uh, but yes. yes, I've always felt myself uh, from there and from then. Uh, and uh, um, basically, uh, it's an expression and an embodiment, and uh, uh, we're here to do a job. <laughs> so Yes, uh, exactly. Right. Time, time is now. <laughs> well, yes, the now. alliance groups were going to speak about the yeah. alliance group? Well, you're going to talk about what happens if there is a, Oh, yes. The, when there is a cataclysmic yes. a, a global event, a global a glob- if yeah, if there is a big global event coming soon, it would be a pole shift probably with the poles cuz they're really moving very close to each other. And when that happens, it could be a, re- a readjustment of the frequency so they switch places. And things like a little well, we don't know. Um could be a major catastrophic event where it could be an extinction event or it might just be um waters and things happening with the ice. It can, depends on what happens. Um uh we don't want to think of a total flip, but a little bit of a tilt can occur too. But if that occurs and there's a t- a chance where a lot of people are going to be affected, which has happened in the past in the ancient times, 
in the Atlantean times as well as the times of Noah, uh, people were rescued. There was um, things that happened, and the ships will come in, and people don't, I know they don't just show up and just cause heart attacks everywhere, but there's going to be a set, an event of love. There will be feelings of love, but they'll be called telepathically to see and look up. Or well, wait a minute. I, I, think, I, I just want to clarify something, okay. because the timing is everything. Let's say they knew that within the next half hour, there was going to be a global wipeout. And these space beings. Yeah. Then the, the spaceships. Yeah. Then they would show up and start okay. picking people up. Okay. They, they're not going to come three weeks ahead of time no. and have everybody die of a heart attack. No. They they're going to come a half an hour, 15 minutes before the, the the event happens. So just to clarify that. That's true. And they do see us by lights of our aura or frequencies in our light. And that's our main teachings, too, to get your frequencies up to white, golden light, at least blazing blue and white or something, not brown or dark red when people are into greed and um, self-centered stuff or just stepping on people to get a new job, things like that where it's just ego. they got to get that light going, and that is contemplating on the infinite creator. Uh, we know in space is Yahweh. That's the name of light of breath and creator in Yehoshua, the threefold creator, the Holy Spirit as well. It's all one being, and... Uh, I said, I think I told you last time that Yahushua comes to us as the personal aspect of a friend to the souls, because he's like the brother, the brother, our big brother, our dad, and the Creator is the magnificent energy of everything, all understanding it all, and the Holy Spirit being that the Holy Spirit part of Creator and Yahushua is um, that action, the action of the creation, the action of the physical, where it comes in as a healing, where you get an arm that grows out or a hand that's withered suddenly it comes normal or a finger that's gone, grows back. Things like that. That's the Holy Spirit with Yoshua. So when that happens with these, I'll run back to the spaceships again. When they come, okay. they're going to be giant ships. Some of them will be scout-sized ships, about 30, 40 diameter, 100-foot diameter. They have some giant, pretty big mother ships up there, too. And they have a way of teleporting people, which I've been done, too, and they've teleported me, that it's within a blink of an eye. That goes to the biblical teachings. Two people will be in a field working, one will disappear. Two people in a bed, one will disappear. That's how fast it is. It's a flash, like a light, but you won't even feel it or see it. It's just suddenly you're there, and you're totally fine. Um, you can also go be taken on a beam, which is a beam that looks like a light beam that comes in, like a white light. It looks like a flashlight, white light, right to the ground with a big circle where the ground, where the beam is. But these beams are not like light. They are a light projection. The bottom of the flooring of the beam is a solid a density where it's a cushioned effect. If you stand in that center, it'll levitate the beam. The ship will come back up as a, as if it's sucking the beam back in, flat bottom and all, and the people would be on it. You would go into the ship. And we had one in my backyard one time. They shut the beam down, and when it levitated back into the ship, uh, no one was in it, but they just did it to show something and monitor. When it went back in the ship, we watched it go up like a solid funnel cone. Like, whoom, the bottom went up too. It was like a not a, I can't say it's transparent. It was like a, uh, if you put a cone, like a <laughs> cone. Like it had a, a bottom. Like a, yeah, like it was a, a cone with a bottom flat. And it just got pulled back in, like sucked back in. And that beam is that part of the, uh, the part you could stand on, because that's what I was on when I was taken at five years old. But what we're talking about here is if people, people will be taken in the blink of an eye, but then there will be another, a second wave of people whose energy fields may not have been as bright and shiny as hopefully but they're all, all, good people. all yeah. of ours will be, and they'll have an opportunity to maybe walk into a beam if they're not too terrified. But you know what's going to happen if they're very orthodox or 
religious, they'll be scared to death. No, they might not walk at all. And um, these are the tests. They will give the opportunity to call telepathically to people. People have been calling me since our last shows and emailing me saying, I've had this experience. They called me just the other day. (laughs) And I looked up and there was a ship. So they're doing this now. And this this frequency is going out with our radio, you know, all of our radio things or these podcasts that um, they want us to get this information out there. But again, they always warn. They say, look, the the things are here on Earth right now. These are all distractions to take you away from the thought of creator and being thinking of creator. And so you've got telephones, yeah, telephones, cell phones, texting, um, TVs, but computers, everything to, distracting, you know, Mark, headphones. Have to say, people, um, you have to love your brother. And even mm-hmm. if your brother doesn't think politically the same as you, you can't right. say, I love this one because he thinks the way I think politically, but that one doesn't, so I don't love that one. That's right. That's not what Jesus does. That's not what the space people do. No, no. And they don't, they're not political, by the way. Nope. And people, um, people used to say that, I don't know, there was some group that said they were dealing with him, and they said, oh, he, he was choosing his favorite political leaders, but oh, they, don't, they don't do it. They don't do that. That's when you know they're faking. Something's faking. They always said, we're not interested in political. It's almost like the day the Earth stood still with with Patu, and he said, we're not concerned about how your planet does its politics or what you do. (laughs) We're concerned about these things. They don't care about that, but they will come if the group leaders of the planet, if there's bunches of leaders, different ones, um, came together and asked for help, asked for help, not for power, not for this, not for greed. And they always said if the, if the planet of leaders and the people came together to say we want to be helped and um, please come to us and help us, that they would because the, all the planet agrees. But all of the, the all of the wealth would have to be for all of the people. All of the healing, all of the free energy, all of that would have to be dispersed equally amongst all of the the planet. Yeah, right. They said they bring healing and no and um. Like, uh, un- I hope we've un- covered that. We we've run out of time. Uh, this has been a fascinating uh, and uh, you know, very uh, enlightening uh, 40 minutes, and uh, I extend an open invitation uh, whenever you would like to share more of this information. We'll schedule a podcast. Well, anytime you're, we're here for you, anytime you ask. Thank you, Great. and together we're in Ashtar as the Space Brothers Speak, Transmissions from the Solar Council, and you have a website. Tell us uh, how folks can uh, uh, access your website and visit you on Facebook and any way they can get in contact with you. Okay, thank you, Hercules. It's Mark, M-A-R-C, Brinkerhoff, B-R-I-N-K-E-R-H-O-F-F, and that's on Facebook. That would be Mark Brinkerhoff. Then our intergalactic mission is our website, so it's intergalactic mission. Um, intergalactic with one L, galactic mission, M I S S I O N dot com. And uh, the, you can contact us on email. They, they can contact us in the email there. Or if they, or can't through remember, Facebook. they can't remember that, they can always go to markbrinkerhoff.com, which is his art site, which we don't sell anything off of. We just, <laughs> just post art. it for fun. <laughs> but you can always get to Mark through any of those places. Yes. Um, the, the email address is the same on all of them. That's right, yeah. And messaging thank on Facebook. Thank you once again. And uh, thank I you. will be giving you all during the week. <laughs> Keep up okay. the good work. Take care. Thank, thank you. you. God bless you. you Yahweh too. bless you. And, and Athena, God bless Amen. you. And you as well. Take care. Okay. Amen, Bill. Thank you. That was Mark.
and Phyllis uh, Brinkerhoff. And uh, our next guest in our Age of Heroes segment is the legendary Timothy Beckley. Greetings and welcome, Tim. How are you? Well, very good, very good. You know, I just heard the uh, end of the conversation that you had with Mark. And do you know, uh, okay, he talks about, you know, uh, free energy and, and, uh, you know, living in peace and harmony. Well, back in the 50s when the UFO contactees were the craze, they actually, the FBI actually sent in um, agents to, to spy on them and to attend uh, their uh, lectures because they felt that they were uh, teaching the communist uh, uh, agenda. Can, can you wow. believe that? I mean, talk about uh, McCarthyism. I mean, uh, that, that has to take the, uh, uh, the cake uh, for sure. Yes, and that, that still goes on uh, today. I know uh, during periods of my life uh, when I've been active in talking about other dimensions and UFOs, uh, my phone's been bugged, my mail delayed, uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, it, well, it's always I, I amazing. Think, I think, Hercules, you can, blame, you can blame the mail delay upon the post office. I don't think you have to go okay. any higher up than that. Uh. So I am very eager uh, for you to share your experience, uh, your incredible encounter that you've had uh, recently. Well, I can't say that I've had any uh, uh, recent encounters, but of course I've been uh, involved in the uh, UFOs and the paranormal field uh, since the mid-1960s, so a lot has happened over the course of that, uh, that time. Now, of course, uh, this uh, past week, Everybody seemed to be uh, excited about Area 51, yeah. and you saw you saw more of that on uh, on TV than uh, you know you had in the in the times that passed because uh, of course the uh, that particular military site out in Rachel, Nevada, which is about a hundred miles from uh, the Strip in Las Vegas, was classified top secret, uh, although. Uh, of course, it had been photograph uh, aerial photographs have been taken uh, of the uh, base. If you wanted a photograph of uh, Area 51 and the surrounding area, all you had to do was uh, contact your local uh, Russian embassy, because for a long time they're the only ones that could provide you with the uh, the photographs. But then, uh, after a while, uh, certainly after the uh, UFO uh, fans went out there and, and started the sky watching and. Uh, Encroaching too close to the uh, the base, uh, a lot of that uh, you know uh, opened up. In fact, uh, I think um, um, Clinton, President Clinton, said that you know uh, when he was elected, he wanted to find out all about uh, Area 51. That was one of the first things on his agenda. He wanted to find out if there really were uh, you know uh, aliens uh, in captivity there. Um, I I know several presidents, including Carter, uh, had said that they would uh, look into that and share the information. Never quite seemed uh, uh, to no, happen. No, you know, promises, promises, promises. I think, though, the most hysterical uh, comment was made by uh, President uh, Obama uh, at the um, uh, annual um, Kennedy uh, Awards. Yeah. Uh, he, he made some comment to the effect that uh, – uh, you know, about Area 51, if anybody wanted to find out uh, anything about it, they were <laughs> probably get more of a positive uh, response from Shirley MacLaine, who was uh, receiving an award that uh, evening. And, of course, everybody uh, chuckled at it. But he's probably right. 
he said Shirley McLean probably knows more about Area 51 than I do, and and I think he hit that uh, right on the uh, on the money because I don't think when you take uh, office they, uh, you know, like uh, zero in on that uh, during the first uh, couple of days to say hey you know we got aliens uh, uh, out here and we've been meaning to tell you that but uh, you know we we've been holding it off to a uh, to a uh, when we get the right opportunity. Now you recently published. Uh, Area 51, Warning, Keep Out. And uh, it's an awesome book, and not only because I'm in the book. uh, Well, you are. uh, Yes, uh, and I'm very honored uh, to be so. But you have done an awesome job of collecting uh, the lore of Area 51 and different ways of looking at uh, Area 51. So for folks who are curious uh, about what all the hoopla is about. So that's a great uh, place to go to fill yourself uh, full of the background information. Well, you know, my my background, uh, Hercules, in, in publishing is that uh, of a, a ma- magazine editor and packager. Over the course of many years, uh, I probably edited 30 different magazines. Now there are some youngsters wow. today probably don't even know what newsstands and, and, and magazines <laughs> are, you know, because... Uh, it certainly is a, a rare a breed uh, today. I mean, they just uh, uh, I, I edited the UFO Universe magazine for 11 years, and then I got uh, a call one morning from the publisher saying, uh, "Clean out your desk because we're going out of business." Well, I didn't have anything in my desk because he didn't realize I didn't have a desk up there. I did it, you know, for my my own uh, uh, place of uh, business, but. That was kind of a sad uh, day, you know. And he had 40 different uh, uh, magazines, GCR Publishing. I mean, their bestseller, I think, was uh, Log Cabin Homes or something like that, and they had plenty of advertising. But uh, then little by little, the uh, uh, the, the newsstand – there's not even a newsstand that I can think of in New York. The, the last uh, – you know, we used to have these out-of-town places where you could go and get a, a newspaper from uh, every – Every state in the union, every big uh, city, you know, up around Times Square. I'm sure you probably visited there uh, over the years. And now none of those are in existence. And outside of Barnes and Noble, I don't know where you would get your your reading. You got to stop into the library or, or knock on my door or something uh, like that, you know. But my my background in, in this, as I said, was that of a magazine publisher. So I met all these incredible writers and, and authors and, and researchers, and so. Uh, for the most part, when I do a, 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 a book, and we have something like 319 titles on Amazon, you know, you can find them by just typing in my name or Interlight slash Global Communications, and they're on a wide variety of, of topics uh, because we let each of the writers make a presentation on their own. Uh, just because I have a feeling on, on something or an, an approach doesn't mean that everybody else has to uh, you know, uh, uh, follow behind my wagging <laughs> tail. So uh, that, that, that's what we do is we present these things as uh, almost a, uh, uh, an anthology. Uh, and, and this is the, uh, what we did with Area uh, 51. You know, uh, there are supposedly uh, aliens uh, there in underground bunkers and uh, technology that's uh, way, way in advance of anything that we officially have uh, now. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I doubt if there were aliens uh, hanging out uh, there. They probably would have escaped over the fence by now, if uh, I'm sure, if they had their their way. As for the advanced technology, that that's a pretty much a sure uh, bet. Uh, I know for a, quite a number of years, people were meeting at Steve's mailbox, 
which is uh, not yeah. too uh, far from the base, and uh, watching these things on a regular basis, uh, they were told the best time to have a sighting would be on uh, Wednesday night at around uh, 9 o'clock, and uh, sure enough, they would go out there and see these things uh, moving across the uh, the sky. I would say at incredible speed, but not speed in the sense that we know it, uh, Hercules. They seem to have the ability to stop in one quadrant of the sky and then appear uh, somewhere else without actually having moved through physical uh, space and time. And we had some, um, we had an uh, individual, a whistleblower. I have my own list of uh, Area 51 whistleblowers. Uh, we had a, um, a fellow by the name of Commander uh, X, who yes. was in military intelligence, right? And he says that he actually uh, piloted uh, one of these crafts, but he didn't uh, do it, uh, you know, through normal uh, means. He actually sat in this kind of bucket seat. He said that inside the saucer it was kind of uh, sparse. There wasn't much uh, in there, no big control panel like on uh, Star Trek or anything, just a, uh, a fairly comfortable seat, and he would sit in it, and they would put a helmet on his head, and he was told to concentrate and move the, the craft. And he said for the first three times he was in there, over three days, he didn't, wasn't able to do anything, and finally he figured, uh, I'm giving up, I'm, you know, this isn't my, uh, my thing. Now, they had picked him because he was, had uh, gotten a pretty high score uh, on some uh, ESP and psychic sensitivity uh, tests. Uh, I don't know if that was at U Duke University. He, he never really told me, and uh, I never really inquired that much about it, but uh, he... Uh, uh, Finally, on the fourth uh, attempt, he was able to move the uh, the craft out of the hangar and, and zip it around, I guess not too far uh, off the ground. And so uh, apparently we are on the verge of teleportation. So uh, Star Trek wow. is not uh, too far away. Uh, there was a fellow by the name of Ben Rich who was uh, head of uh, Lockheed Skunk Works, uh, and he had a position out there. In fact, he is considered the grandfather of the stealth uh, technology. And he said that uh, we were, anything that we have now is 50 years uh, ahead of ahead, probably yes, what we know, and, and that is far beyond even the technology in Star Wars or uh, Star Trek. So, I mean, here's somebody in a official uh, capacity admitting that to us. That that is amazing. Yes, I've heard that uh, story uh, before in my uh, journeys through the metaphysical and uh, uh, UFO realms. And uh, now uh, a lot of the uh, like there are uh, helmets or headpieces you can get for playing yep. uh, video games that allow ah. you to think what you're going to do. So uh, yes, if that technology is trickling into our society, uh, you can bet we've had it for a very long time. You know, I, I was just here this afternoon on, uh, working on a book about uh, Nikola uh, Tesla uh, being from another mm -hmm. planet. Not something that I necessarily believe in, but uh, there was a fellow about, uh, by the name of um, Arthur uh, Matthew who lived up there in uh, Canada who claimed actually that he was related to uh, uh, Tesla. And that uh, Tesla had actually communicated, well, this we know for a fact, that actually communicated and received signals from outer space going back as early as like 1901. In fact, in the uh, this uh, book, which is coming out in a week or so, uh, there's actually a newspaper clipping from 
I uh, can't remember whether it's a, well, it wasn't a couple of papers, the New York Times and the Colorado uh, paper. Color, he had an, uh, a laboratory in Colorado Springs, and apparently he was receiving messages uh, in code, probably, from what he thought was the planet Mars. But I don't think there's any way of proving that these messages, transmissions, uh, came from any one particular uh, spot in space, because throughout the... Um, uh, decades, uh, starting around that period of time, was, uh, since the radio uh, was invented, uh, that people have been picking up strange messages, uh, code, and, and verbally uh, uh, on their uh, TV sets, their radio sets, their ham uh, radios. Uh, in fact, uh, Barry Goldwater, who Senator Barry Goldwater, who was once refused admission into um, Hangar 18, where supposedly the alien bodies were stored and uh, crash saucers and so forth. He was a, a ham radio uh, operator, and he was uh, said that on a regular basis he was receiving uh, coded uh, messages which he could not uh, decipher. So in this uh, book that we're doing on uh, signals from the stars about Nikola Tesla, we have uh, all these uh, case uh, histories uh, showing that uh, uh, we're not we're not alone. I mean, even even the uh, astronauts received uh, audio uh, messages while they were in space. There were uh, bars to the song where angels fear to tread. I believe that's the name of the song. Started coming in over their um, uh, the cha- you know the channel the reserve reserve channels uh, uh-huh. uh, just for the astronauts and nobody NASA on the ground or the astronauts nobody could explain where these where the songs were coming where the song was coming from i don't know maybe maybe right from the angelic kingdom i suppose <laughs> uh, maybe um now you publish uh, a lot of material on the ash star command and uh, mark and phyllis uh, um they served yeah. uh, the star intergalactic uh, command and uh, but you published a, a wide variety of books uh, including uh, tuella's original uh, writing oh yes Yes, yeah. I, I had met uh, Tuella a, c- a couple of times. I was the MC of a uh, conference in Reno, Nevada. Wasn't very many people uh, there. Uh, the promoter, for some reason, uh, the actual sponsor, uh, decided to have it in a, ro- uh, a, rode- a place where they had rodeos, you know, with like uh, bleacher seats and the uh, uh, the uh, sawdust on the floor, and birds would come over and knock the. Uh, not uh, you know part of the ceiling uh, down uh, on the uh, speakers and and uh, what uh, have you, but she was one of the uh, uh, presenters uh, there, and it's kind of an uncomfortable uh, weekend if I remember uh, uh, correctly. But very very nice uh, lady, and you know I, I probably should explain that I'm not necessarily a huge believer in channeling. I'm more of a uh, nuts and bolts uh, type of guy or a parallel universe uh, person. Uh, I guess okay. you could uh, you, you could say, but I give everybody the. Uh, there's only a few people that I I, I really uh, cast uh, uh, aside for uh, being darn right uh, fraudulent. Uh, someone like Billy Meyer, you know, anybody that makes a cult uh, out of this or, or wants to be head of a religion, I certainly look down uh, on. You know, and 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 Mark, you you've had him on your program. He was on Coast to Coast the other night uh, promoting yeah, yeah, this. Sure. Uh, spa- yeah, Space Gods uh, speak. Uh, he makes a very good uh, presentation for the uh, Ashtar Command. If they're going to have a uh, representative, I, I guess they pick the right uh, the right guy. 
Although he's, he, nice he's not, he, yeah, he's not just a uh, uh, an Ashtar person. I mean, he's met uh, a lot of different uh, space people, or at least so he says. Now, the thing that intrigues me about uh, Mark Brinkerhoff, uh, we had him in a a, a book called um, UFO Repeaters: The Camera Doesn't Lie. These are uh, individuals who have the uncanny ability to take a, a camera, either digital or give me the old time with the film negatives and films, and, and uh, go out and, and point the camera at the sky, usually without seeing anything. And uh, when they develop the print or look at the digital uh, photos, there are strange things are happening uh, yes. in front of your, your eyes. And now, Mark lives near uh, Central Park, I think a couple of blocks away, and uh, he sticks his camera out the open window and snaps away and... Uh, uh, lo and behold, there are things that uh, people say, oh, they're balloons. Well, I don't know. It, 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 uh, every week or so, is somebody having a birthday party outside of his <laughs> house? I, I, don't, I don't think so. You know, I mean, uh, it, it, and, and they're twisting and turning, and uh, uh, they, shouldn't, they shouldn't be there, but uh, they are. Now, yeah. back when he was a kid, and I don't know whether you discussed this or not, he uh, w- would go up to upstate New, uh, New York, and they would tell him where to go, like in a, I think, a, a football field behind the uh, the middle school or something. And he would take pictures at night. And when these things were developed and the um, negatives, uh, you know, enlarged, the images on the uh, negatives were enlarged. Uh, lo and behold, inside what appeared to be a a, a port, a porthole, or a window, uh, was uh, a figure, the uh, the silhouette of a figure. Well, who the figure was, I don't know, but it uh, it, it was uh, strange indeed. And then uh, another time, there's a disc-shaped object with a projectile uh, shooting out of the uh, the side. Mothership, something, I don't a crowd, scout a craft, uh, I, I can't say, but uh, very, very peculiar. I mean, uh, there's no uh, explaining what he does, and he's not the only one that has that uh, ability. No, he's not. I've heard of that ability before, but uh, through uh, the book and through talking to Mark and visiting his uh, webpage, uh, I've seen tons of examples. And uh, uh, as you say, some of them are very, very hard to explain, and uh, their their frequency uh, defies uh, many logical uh, explanations. Uh, uh, something in him seems to be able to capture these images, uh, uh, you know, automatically. So uh, yeah. that, that's a great talent to have. Hey, I, I've got I've got a a little bit of breaking news uh, for you. I had okay. dinner the other the other uh, evening uh, with my friend uh, Peter Robbins, uh, of course, who has written uh, extensively on the uh, Rendlesham Forest uh, case, and uh, he's uh, worked with uh, Travis uh, Walton, and he's very well known as a lecture speaker and a presenter all over the country and the world. Uh, in fact, he was telling me about his uh, great uh, trip to Japan. Uh, one time to lecture on uh, UFOs. He had his own uh, translator, which I can't say that I've had my own translator. Anyway, uh, Peter is very big in the in the theater. I mean, that's kind of how I guess he makes his uh, living. He was a Bud Hopkins' assistant for many uh, years, but uh, uh, Peter is tied in with the uh, bro- uh, you know Broadway and off Broadway here. So uh, recently, he was invited to. I don't know whether you would call this a, a, a reading. It, it was a, a first presentation uh, put together perhaps to get uh, backers to bring the uh, presentation on the Broadway because 
to bring a, a, a package to Broadway, you know, a theatrical show, costs millions of dollars. You don't just yeah. do it on a song and a, uh, a dance like you would back in the uh, 30s or something, you know, probably. <laughs> I don't know how much it costs then, but uh, I just know the way that they, they work it now. In order to break even or make a little money, they got to sell tickets for $100 or more. Uh, but uh, anyway, so he went to this um, UFO-related um, uh, reading, and it's the Betty and Barney Hill story, and the the playwright is, turns out to be uh, John Fuller's uh, wife. Now, John Fuller, of course, wrote the book, uh, The Interrupted Journey, which was the yes. uh, first time that anybody learned about the Betty and Barney Hill story. And he said it's a very dramatic uh, presentation. He was very excited uh, by it. And the... Um, Male lead, Barney Hill, is played by Richard Pryor, Jr. And the female uh, lead, Betty Hill, is played by Shirley MacLaine's daughter. And uh, I don't think that's... I I saw one little write-up in some theatrical uh, newspaper that I normally wouldn't uh, read because I'm not into the theater that much, but he was ultra-excited about it. And and so uh, hopefully I'll be able to make the next... uh, uh, a, a little presentation that they have before, uh, hopefully it does hit uh, Broadway eventually. Th- that'll be awesome. Um, I don't know if you know Nick Curdo. He's the head of the uh, Disclosure Network uh, New York. Um, mm, he had no, recently so. talked about it too. I think he caught it. He was he he was telling me about it. Uh, um, I think last week when he was on the show, uh, oh, and he goodness. said that. It, and I it. thought I I thought I was the only one who knew. <laughs> well, he's immersed in the same waters that you're immersed in. So, yeah. uh, uh, but uh, it sounds awesome, and uh, I definitely would like to see something like that. So, uh, yes. um, you know, it sounds well, incredible. You know, you know what you know what I saw um, on. Um, I've been, uh, uh, of course, I binge watch like everybody else, you know, Netflix and um, Amazon Prime. Uh, the last uh-huh. couple of days, I have been watching this uh, uh, eight episode made in Australia, a TV drama, which is based on one, I guess, fairly well known case uh, historically in Australia, but not well known here at all. Uh, I hadn't, I hadn't heard of it. And the the first episode starts out with a UFO sighting, a big party in the woods, uh, kind of like they're having a an outdoor uh, rave, you know, teenagers and young people. And a couple of the uh, the teenagers, I guess, see these lights off between uh, the trees. And then there's a a, a disappearance of one of the um, uh, one of the young ladies that had gone to the rave and had seen the UFO. Uh, and it, it comes, it becomes more of a, a, a TV series looking for her and what happened to her uh, in, uh, instead of the UFOs. But that's the kind of the main uh, thread here. I think if you live in Australia, uh, you would know what particular case uh, this this was. And the last episode is more of the UFO-oriented uh, uh, bit. You know, they're winding up the series. But unfortunately, I haven't been able to catch episode eight because my TV keeps freezing and buffering when I put it, uh, when oh. I put it on. But I, there was also one movie, mm-hmm. one movie which I believe is the first, 
well, I wouldn't. I don't think they call it well action movie. I I don't think they call them kung fu movies since Bruce Lee uh, passed away. But martial 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 arts, and it involves martial arts and uh, aliens. I believe it's called abduction. One one word. Can't rem- uh, remember the exact title, but uh, type in uh, when you do a search uh, on. Um, uh, Netflix or Amazon Prime. Top in Scott uh, At- Atkin, A D K I N S, and he's the main uh, character uh, or martial art world champion martial artist. He makes very exciting movies. Well, you would like that. You're into him. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, very much yeah. so. Yeah, I wrote it down, so we'll look it up yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, after the show. Uh, yeah, so he's, yeah, there's he's he's, 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 no, he's no doubt he's no doubt. Uh, well-known, more well-known all over the world. A movie like that can play in, in, in countries you can't possibly even name or know where they are. Very true. Yeah, yeah. So you have coming up the Tesla book. What other books can we expect in the very near future? Ooh. Well, what I'm working on, and I think you will be contributing to this as well, is a, a book called Incredible Encounters. Now, I have a massive file of material. I started out publishing uh, back in 1965. I went out and I bought a mimeograph machine, uh, got ink all over the place. My mother uh, tossed me out of the kitchen where I was set up. Uh, I set up shop because it looked like a crime scene, but instead of the fingerprints being red, they were black from the uh, ink. So I had to go out uh, out to the back porch. Pretty cold out there. And uh, printed from there, we started out with a circulation of about 75 copies, and it was 10 pages. And by the time I, I uh, uh, sold out the magazine or uh, gave it away to somebody to take over the subscriptions, it was up to 40 pages, and we, had a, we were printing 1,500 copies. And in those days, you had to collate it all yourself. You know, I put, uh, I put the stacks of paper uh, on, the, on the couch, and I put up an ironing uh, board. And just go from one, uh, you know, they were printed on both sides, one, two, three, four, five, six, all the way up to 20. That would give you 40 pages. And then staple it and then fold it in half and put, uh, put stamps on it. Now, the stamps in those days, I think the mallet, and, and they, were, they were pretty heavy, was like 13 cents. Today, if mm-hmm. I send out something that's one ounce, it's 55, bu- uh, 55 cents. It's just about uh, put me, uh, you know, uh, under. In, in fact, there was another magazine that just folded uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, Atlantis Rising, uh, which had been sold on a newsstand. And they had, of course, a lot of stuff about ancient astronauts and all, but, you know, UFO articles and things that we would be interested in. And since there are no more newsstands anywhere that I can think of, uh, you know, except Barnes & Noble, you can't put enough copies to sell at Barnes & Noble in order to keep a magazine going, especially if you don't have a lot of advertising, you know, and a UFO or a paranormal magazine, you get a couple of hundred dollars a page if you're lucky, and uh, yeah, you know that that's that's about it. But yeah, there you that, go. That's fair. I remember uh, I used to love going into magazine stores. So oh boy. Yeah. And there was like everything you could possibly imagine. Uh, somebody had oh. a magazine. About it, and I used to spend hours in there and go home well, with. Well, the well yeah, well, 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 yes. You know, there used to. Be, I worked in the business distributing and and, and all, 
And you would have just about every row had a different type of magazine. There were the crime magazines like a front page uh, uh, detective and true detective. Uh, that would be in you know in in one row. I don't, uh, the top sellers would be on the top, and then as you go down, they would be uh, real 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 rags. I mean stuff that uh, you know made up and uh, just uh, uh, detective mag. You know bad bad stuff that didn't sell yeah. very much. And, and, the, and the UFO stuff. There was there was a whole there was a whole row of that. There was UFO magazine and uh, 14 Times, which is still published, and uh, Fate magazine, of course. Now Fate magazine. Uh, started in 1948, and uh, I would say went up until recently. I know every once in a while they still put out a a, a printed edition, but Phyllis, the publisher, hasn't sent me a copy of it, so I can't say that mm. I've, uh, I, I've 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 read it. But I know they do uh, do try to keep uh, going, and and that's about it. The the last um, English ma- uh, English English language magazine, printed magazine was the ufologist from Australia, and they went out of business about a little bit over a year ago. I'm saddened to hear that. It's uh, yeah. uh, it, it, it's the end of an era. And, uh, oh, it, it is, yes. We're uh, somebody, very valued. Uh, somebody, somebody wrote a book called Bad Mags, uh, which is interesting if you're into the old uh, uh, tab- uh, not tabloids, uh, pulp magazines, they, they called them, because they were printed on on newsprint for the most part, maybe with a few photographs uh, in there. And there's a whole uh, a chapter on me because, like I say, I edited uh, about 30 different uh, uh, publications, none of which ver- uh, lasted very long. The one that lasted the longest was the uh, UFO uh, universe. And some of them I enjoyed doing, and, and some of them I had very little interest in and uh, didn't know much about it. I, I did a magazine on uh, football. Never saw a football game in my life, but I had uh, five or six uh, sports writers, and and uh, you know these were guys. They would use different names. They worked at the uh, the newspapers here in New York, but in order to make a little money freelance, they could knock out uh, you know uh, uh, an article on a typewriter. Remember typewriters, Eric? Oh yeah, <laughs> I remember typewriters. The manual yeah. ones. Yeah. Then I had oh, one. hey, that was the one subject. That was the one subject I was good at. I could type 110 words on a manual typewriter. All right, I'm still a one finger typist, even though it's yeah. stupid. Oh uh, no, no, I, I would, I would, I would say that the, the ty- being a, a very good at typing has helped me in my publishing uh, career because I, I could still do, I can watch TV, listen to the radio, read, and type at the same time. Wow, that's much more than I can, I can do. But but, yeah. I, but that's because I have such good uh, contributors, and and, and um, I have a, a great. Uh, uh, editor and uh, proofreader, uh, reader Sean Castile. I can't to this day. I can't spell my way out of a wet paper bag, but uh, Sean could find a comma in a haystack. Literally, that's out of uh, out of place. So it's a it's a great team. Yeah, we have we have a a, a great team uh, working for us and some uh, fabulous uh, graphics uh, people. Uh, uh, Bill Kern out in uh, San Diego and uh, Tim Schwartz, who of course is. I think been on your program. He's uh, yeah. not, not only as a, a writer and uh, a, a presenter of this valuable information, but he's a, a fabulous graphics guy. I mean, he just I, I couldn't I couldn't begin to know uh, where to, to lay something out in a in a paper. I can send a good I can send a, neat, a nasty email and I can uh, search for anything by googling it. I mean, I I can find so I'm really good at that. But uh, 
Yeah, some of the talents I don't have in the design. I used to do it by hand, I, and I, I was very good at it. I mean, even now I, stay, I start out with the, kind of laying it out in my mind and sending over a, uh, a, a, you know, a scan of where stuff should go on the page, and then it's up to the uh, the, uh, the boys to, to, to put it down in the right uh, uh, place. But we used to do it with uh, rubber cement and a... Um, uh, a wax machine. You, you wow. would put the you would put the type, uh, you know, which is uh, on the, the gal in galley form, through the wax machine. You burn your fingers real good, and um, and then try to put it on the uh, uh, the sheet, uh, you know, like the uh, the layout uh, sheet uh, in a straight line, so that it would come out and uh, you know it would look as professional as possible. And it. We did a, I, I did a great job actually. I was sorry to see that uh, that go. You know, I mean, it's all uh, copy copy and paste today, which has its uh, uh, you know uh, good points. Uh, you don't have to sit there and retype stuff over and over and over again. You just mm-hmm. put your mouse down on the page and whip it out and, Cut and put paste it down on another page. You know. Now we're approaching the end of our adventure today. I, Tim, I see that. I, I see that, and I talk. I, I talk. I talk like a magpie. Uh, uh, I, full yeah. of great stories and uh, <laughs> great information. Um, and uh, thank you so much for being on the show and for sharing uh, uh, what's coming in the near future. Well, and I, it, uh, Hercules, stories. it's always a pleasure to talk uh, uh, with you and. Uh, we have some uh, mutual friends, and, and do say hello to them. And uh, should your uh, listeners wish to uh, wish to uh, find me, good luck. No, actually, all they have to do is go to Google. Just go to Google and type in Tim Beckley. The website would be conspiracyjournal.com, and uh, we'll send you you know a free subscription. And you can find out all of our books if you go to Amazon and just type in my pay uh, my name. I got a you know a web. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, Arthur's uh, page. Uh, An Arthur's so. page, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you do too. In fact, your photo, your your photo is on my page. Oh, awesome! Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, they, I, they, I, I'm, I'm sure probably mine shows up on your page because somehow yeah. we're interconnected. Uh, anyway, I'm nice speaking with you again, and um, uh, just keep uh, looking up and uh, watch out for those uh, UFOs. I most certainly will. Thanks again, uh, Tim, and I'll You're talk welcome. to you soon. My pleasure, and good night, uh, Miss Alabash, wherever you are. Isn't that what Jimmy Durant used to say? Maybe it wasn't Alabash. Miss McGinnis, somebody. Miss Alabash. Anybody. Any. Good night, everybody. That's the best way. Have a good evening. Good night, you too. Um, we're going to listen to Bone Pokemon's Evolve, and then we'll be back with Temenos, Ancient Mysteries, with Olaf Phillips, who um, Tim in introduced me to just like he introduced me to uh mark and phyllis uh, brinkerhoff so uh tim is excellent at uh connecting uh people everybody i've met through tim has been phenomenally awesome and uh um, i can see why it's important for me to have met them now so we'll be back in a few minutes
Magazine and the Paranoia Podcast, 
and uh, we are going to be discussing ancient mysteries. Greetings and welcome, Olaf. How are you? I'm doing all right. Greetings, Hercules. How's it going? Uh, it's going very well. It's been a very interesting uh, few days since we last talked. <laughs> Many yeah. uh, new doors opening up, many old doors closing. Uh, um, I'm connecting with uh, individuals uh, um, who are, I suspect, will be instrumental in things unfolding. So it's a good place to be. How about with you? Same. You know, it's it's always interesting the way that, that things unfold in front of you, right? Oh, yes. It's, it's always very interesting. And I'm looking forward to our speaking more often um, and yeah. actually have options to offer you next. Instead of just one time, you could pick which which time uh, works in with your busy schedule. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, so busy. There. <laughs> now, we've talked in the past about uh, – the Arthurian legends uh, and how um, in our country, in your neck of the woods, uh, is what might be the key uh, to understanding uh, these ancient mysteries. And uh, you've done an excellent uh, job for all the time I've known you in drawing attention to this and putting together the pieces uh, of uh, the puzzle. And uh, we had talked last time about how there might be some sort of teaching contained in uh, uh, the landscape. Right. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you see um, with civilizations in general, right, is that there there are two things that, that you see with ancient civilizations. One is that topology can be very important. So these you know, a lot of times in ancient cultures, traditional ancient cultures, you know, mountains or lakes or rivers or, you know, um, inlets or whatever, the, these things take on a metaphysical meaning. And they, because of their shape or because of their proximity to other things, it takes on a mystical quality. And so, you know, much like the, the myth of the Aztec, the, the, the Aztecs, they were searching for a home, and Quetzalcoatl came to them and said, "You will know, you will know, you will, you have found where you need to live when you see a a uh, eagle. I want to say it was an eagle, an eagle with a snake in its mouth on top of a cactus. And you know that seems kind of like, okay, how's that going to happen, right? Well, uh-huh. supposedly they they found that." And then they set up the center of their civilization at that site. So, you know, the again these these landforms, you know, we don't in in modern society we don't pay two cents of attention to them. No. Ancient peoples, yeah, ancient ancient peoples they they ascribed a lot of value to their shapes or to their proximities, and and that's what I believe occurred here. That is uh, remarkable. I know uh, I had seen uh, uh, someone had drawn a topographical map of uh, um, England and Wales, uh, you know, the United Kingdom, and had shown how uh, certain uh, objects that were part of the landscape were reflected in the sky and in the constellations, and that the ground and the sky mirrored each other and contained, right. you know, a message. Once you knew that the zodiac was the key, uh, then right. it became 
to understand uh, uh, these uh, mysteries. And uh, uh, that was very obscure, and it popped up in a comic book, too, once. I, I, after I'd read about it, uh, I saw it in, uh, I think the comic book was called Slain, S-L-A-I-N-E. Uh, and uh, the okay. guy who wrote that comic book, uh, it seems that he'd read the same book. So he incorporated it into the story, and it became more part of the um, you know, pop culture in the in the consciousness. Sure. Uh, but well, this, uh, this also this also manifests in Egypt, right? This is the argument yeah. that if you look at the Great Pyramid and the two ancillary pyramids, their names escape me. But if you look at the way that they're laid out, it's the Belt of Orion, even to the point of where the the center one is offset, that it's not a straight line. Right. That it's slightly offset from the others, and it matches the Belt of Orion. So even in even in situations where, you know, it it didn't necessarily match, say, the sky, they would modify the landscape to match the sky. So you know that's yeah. just one manifestation of it. Um, there are places uh, today that have symbolism in them. If you know how to read what it is that uh, you're looking at, um, so oh, yeah. it's not surprising that the ancients had it, but the ancients uh, relied on it more and it, it kind of bridged heaven and earth. Uh, it was uh, like the hermetic uh, um, axiom that uh, uh, as above, so below. So uh, below, as within, right. So that. And uh, uh, they took that very seriously and they used that uh, every opportunity that uh, they could uh, in their architecture so that when people were mm-hmm. advanced enough uh, to be able to see the patterns, they, they understood, you know, this would communicate with them. And if they weren't, it wouldn't. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a whole field of, there's a whole field called archaeoastronomy where they, they yeah. look at these things. And one of, one of the guys who was very essential in archaeoastronomy was a guy named Ed Krupp. And Ed, Ed Krupp was the, uh, was the director of the, um, the oh, what's the name of the observatory in L.A.? the one that's up on the hill. And he he actually, when I was a little kid, synchronicities, when I was a little kid, I used to watch this TV show on Channel 60 here in the Bay Area called Project Universe, and it was a telecourse that was done by Krupp. And he had a, he had a very extensive chunk of it that was about archaeoastronomy. But, yeah, if you look at a lot of the, a lot of the megalithic structures like Stonehenge, Avebury, you know, these other sites, they're all lined up um, – they're all lined up according to celestial alignments, some of them having to do later versions having to do with the Zodiac. So it, wow. it is a very, very important thing. And, you know, to us as, as quote unquote modern humans, you know, when we go to, I mean, if you ever go to Stonehenge, it's, it's just weird. I mean, you just, it just feels weird. You know, it's just got a weirdness to it. Um, mm-hmm. It's also by a freeway, which I, I thought was kind of disconcerting. Like I'm feeling the mojo, and this like big truck drives by. <laughs> you know, you go there, you go gla- to Glastonbury, you go to the tour. You know, you can feel that there's a. I call it mojo because I don't know really know how to explain it, but there it there's like a membrane right, that you like pass through. Yeah, it's like an energy membrane. And when you're inside of it, everything is a little more tactile. You feel the stones. Yeah. I couldn't touch the stones at Stonehenge, obviously. But, you know, when I was up at Avebury, like you touch the ground and you, you know, it has more textileness to it. 
so there there are points that are charged either they were made to be charged or they're naturally charged ley lines and all that and and i think i think that a lot of these structures that i'm i'm looking at here on the west coast that they you know they follow ley line patterns it's hard it's very hard to get like a map a good map of ley lines but the ones that i've seen you know, appear to run through this area and, and other areas that I've looked at. So there's obviously some sort of charged mechanism in place, which I think adds to it. Yeah, I, I think so. I've been in places where there was that effect. Here in uh, Tenafly, where I live, uh, I started uh, making this public, and then I got distracted, and uh, life right. happened. Uh, but I plan on I uh, going back to it. Um, there was a back when I was a teenager, I was working on a book and Prentice Hall was interested in the, in the book and that never came uh-huh. to be, but anyway, it was a, it was a enjoyable ride for you know, a couple of years. Uh, and sure. uh, um, there was a place nearby where uh, several psychics had gone uh, and they had like a weird effect. So my publisher at the time, and it was a Prentice Hall, they had, uh, they had published uh uh, the Amityville Horror and uh, the Santa Maria right. books and, you know, that, that type of stuff. And Seth Speaks, you know. So uh, yes, right. uh, he had sent me there to see what my impressions were. And uh, I went, you know, up uh, Clinton uh, Road and into the green area that uh, he'd specified. And I walked around and something, there was something, a tangible presence there. Right. And it kept directing me. And uh, so, yeah. again, I... I was aware of that type of effect. So I, I compensated. Uh, I'm sorry. I cut you off. Oh, no, I was going to say, you know, we, we have it here. The, the predominant feature of this area is a mountain called Mount Diablo, the mountain of the devil. And what I find odd about it is it, it, there's a whole story of why it's named the Mount Diablo, but it's a mountain, the devil's mountain. And what I, what I find incredibly odd is that in this area there are three, which is a significant number. There are supposedly three gateways to hell here. Uh-huh. And in in addition to that, there's a river that runs um, through my area. It's kind of uh, north of of um, Mount Diablo, but <clears throat> there are vortexes that you can see. You know, they kind of spin up, spin down. They're very volatile, but you can see vortexes appearing in the water. And and so, wow. you know, there's there's a bit of a there's a bit of a chargedness to here. And and I think that that's why a lot of strange things happen here. You know, one one of the one so J. Allen Hynek, right? He's very famous, Project Blue Book and all that. He he had a theory, and I think Jacques Vallée is fairly close. That the 90% of all UFOs are are man-made. They're just misidentified, or yes. confused, or whatever, right? But he said that there's a good five or ten percent that just defy logic, and one of those actually happened here um, in the foothills of Mount Diablo. So when you look at Mount Diablo, there's a there's foothills that radiate north from Mount Diablo. And in, uh-huh. in a valley at the base of those foothills, there were three teenagers that watched a UFO land and were chased by a robot. And so 
you know, Heine comes out here and he can't explain it. It's actually one of the 10% that Heine could not explain. Wow. So we've had a lot of, yeah, in this area in general, there's a lot of weird mystical stuff that happens. When I was in Pennsylvania, and I think that feeds into it. Go ahead. There was a town called Oliphant, and uh, there was a mystery called the Oliphant Mystery. And it was one uh-huh. of these things. Did you ever see these, uh, like, uh, prints where they use a, a lot of different pictures, and together they make a bigger picture, even though, like, if you look oh, at yeah. them in detail? Yeah, it was like that. If you looked at any part of the Oliphant Mystery, it, it could be dismissed as uh, nonsense or coincidence. But the overwhelming amount of those type of things, when you put them together, uh, they made a puzzle. And uh, the puzzle had roots in Egypt. And there were like uh, uh, six uh, places of religious worship that if you looked at them from the air, they made a Jewish star. Uh, and then there was like a, a, um, a pyramid-shaped object, you know, uh, uh, pointing to certain constellations. So uh, there was a gentleman there named John Peruca who had spent many, uh, many years. He was like a mad scientist type of guy. Right. And uh, when we were there, I spent a few years exploring the Oliphant Mystery with him. And yeah, he used to come on our podcast uh, back then. Um, but it, it was very, very fascinating. And the more you looked at it, the more you saw these uh, connections. And uh, But sure. again, they, they seemed deliberate. And they had like subtext, like one of the places that was in the center of the Oliphant Mystery, Harry Houdini had lived there <laughs> for a space. So wow. yeah, all weird synchronicities uh, that taken together made for a remarkable uh, um, uh, puzzle. Sure. So... Well, I'm looking we have to visit. Oh, sorry, I cut you off. No, it's okay. I'm looking forward to when I visit out west. I'd love to see these things. Yeah, you know, when you go up on Diablo, I mean, it has a bit of a weird feeling. But you know, it's funny because, like, when you live in a place, you kind of take for granted, you know, what has occurred in that place. But, you know, I don't live in San Francisco. I live in a valley at the base of Diablo. And even in my valley, right, you know, we have um, the whole the whole story of why it's called Mount Diablo, that, that, that the Native Americans, when they would run away from the Spaniards, they'd run up the mountain, and then they mm-hmm. would vanish into the, into the mountain. And and they were able to hide from the Spaniards by running into the mountain. And sometimes if they were losing ground or the Spaniards were going to catch them, that there was a black, um, like a jaguar that they thought was Pui, which was their one of their deities, would come out and scare away or attack the Spaniards. That's just the mountain. At the in the foothills below the mountain, there was you know, there's a lost treasure. Right, you know, tons of tons of ghosts. You know, we have gateways to hell. Uh, one of the guys in my little town, one of the guys that was fingered as a possible candidate to be the Zodiac killer. I mean, we're not in San Francisco. No Zodiac murders happened here, but yeah. one of the guys that that was in the finalist list, so to speak, for being the Zodiac was the editor in chief of our local newspaper. Wow. You know, and, it, know. and it's like, 
Yeah, and and there's just tons of you know we have a we have a mysterious railroad, right? That they're they're out way away from me on the other side of the the hills, you know there there's an area where the train had run through, and people have reported seeing a phantom train. I mean, it just goes on and on, you know. It's it's kind of crazy. <laughs> there's such a concentration of of ghosts. I mean, haunted police cars and. You know, we have in my town, at the end of the main street, it dead ends into a court building. And on the corner was where the hanging tree was, right? And the uh-huh. tree's long since gone. But what they installed there were, were electric chargers for electric cars. And supposedly what I've heard is that the amount of power that's, that's sucked down by these two charging stations is like more than any other charging station in the entire county, you know. But like wow. I said, there, there's just there's just like such a charge of metaphysical energy in this area, and you you don't really think about it. You know, we have gravity hills. We have a couple of gravity hills. If you're familiar with that phenomenon. Yes. And this is yeah. yeah this is all within say. Yeah. Well, this is within a say a, a twenty or thirty square mile radius. We have like two, you know, uh, one, the only, the only mutiny that ever occurred in the modern U.S. Navy occurred six or seven miles from me on the river. I mean, it, wow. it's just, yeah, there, it's just a very charged place. And, and I think you see this, you know, if you go to Shasta, right, Shasta is an, an incredibly charged place, and just weird things happen around Shasta. You yeah, not Shasta. A lot of them. The I am movement, and uh, there's all sorts of uh, Lemurian right. lore, Queen Khalifa, even some of the stuff that uh, the 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 mysteries I've been exploring reach and extend uh, that far. So Shasta is really an interesting place. Well, yeah, I mean the Yurok. We talked about this before. The the, the yeah. Yurok you know, have a legend that these basically what could be described as an ascended, a bunch of ascended masters came off the top of the mountain. But uh, the guy, the guy from the IM movements claimed that he met Lemurians in Panther Meadow. I mean, this whole part of California, Ballard, this whole part of California is just incredibly charged. And fortunately, you're there, <laughs> and yes. uh, are collecting these uh, mysteries. Uh, I I know everywhere I travel, and recently uh, we uh, traveled to connect with my uh, wife's uh, aunt, who's in her 90s, and uh, uh-huh. one of the uh, gas stations said bookstore, and that that was unusual uh, to begin with. Right. Uh, we stopped there, you know, to check it out because uh, I can't resist bookstores, and uh, they yeah, had a called In the Night Sky, Hudson Valley UFO Sightings from the 1930s to present. So it's one of those tourist-type stores. Uh, I I would love to see a series of uh, books uh, penned by you uh, that uh, explore and share these uh, mysteries, because I know travelers uh, uh, who are of a similar mind, uh, that would be a treasure, you know, if they they found that. I've I've been working on it. I actually used to write articles for the local newspaper, Okay. About some of this stuff, some of the weirdness that happens just in our general vicinity. And I mean, there's just so much. It's, 
I mean, there's, you know, it's like anywhere else. There's a lot of haunted houses and whatever, but, you know, spectral locomotives and, and ghostly police cars. In fact, I, I have a friend, um, he's a, he's a trucker and he used to, um, haul dirt and for a construction company and they were down South of me. Um, the location shall remain nameless, but down South of me somewhere, um, they were putting in a new, um, a new like subdivision. And so I don't know the name of the, actually, I don't even know the name of the, the construction company, but they were putting in these two subdivisions and they had, they were digging in the first subdivision. Cause you know, you build the first one funds the second one, right? So they're digging into the first one and they came across native American artifacts like bur- burial sites. And so in California, you know, th- this isn't a universal law. So that's why I'm saying in California, in California, the minute you find any kind of Native American material, you have to report it to the state. And then they send out contract archaeologists to go dig it out and process it and, and get the cultural context and all that kind of stuff. It's actually like one of the cherry gigs if you're studying archaeology here. But anyway, so they did that. And, it, and the, the guy um, the guy was who owned the company was pissed off because it just took so long. I think it took like six months or a year for these guys to fully, you know, uh, fully excavate it. And so when the second subdivision came along, instead of digging into the dirt, he ordered just massive amounts of dirt. And they, they laid like three feet of dirt on top of the, the ground so that mm-hmm. they could put in the, the anchors and stuff for the buildings because he didn't want to dig it out. And I heard stories that in that subdivision, a la poltergeist in that subdivision, there is some weirdness. So, I, I you know, could... Yeah, it's a really bad thing to do. But, you know, it, like I said, it's just it's just strange The you know, we have connections here to the arrows, the mysterious airships of 1897, the Sonora Aero Club. We have links to here down south of me in Livermore. A guy built an arrow that was, I think, not sanctioned. So it was burnt. They lit it on fire. I mean, it just goes on and on. Yeah, it, it seems so, so. I have friends yeah. who's into the airship mystery. Uh, uh, whenever we connect, uh, I hear all his latest research <laughs> on the uh, airship mystery, different connections, and now he's finding oh, stuff yeah. on eBay to support his theories. So it's really interesting. Yes, I think we're, I think we're talking about the same guy. I, um, Maybe. I went up. I, yeah, I, well. Bosley. I mean, Bosley's books are amazing. You know, everybody should go buy Walter Bosley's stuff. I think that's probably who you're talking about. No, I'm actually talking about someone else. He goes by the name The Commodore. Uh, and he's here in the East Coast, a couple of towns away. Yeah, I'm trying to get him on the shows. He's a treasure trove. You need to get him on the show. Of information on the airship mystery, the giants. Uh, uh, He knows a lot about a lot. Yeah. He used to do the there, UFO conventions here in Jersey, in South Jersey, but he hasn't done those in a while. There, There's a mysterious wall that we've chatted about before, and one of the mm-hmm. stories is that it was built built by red-headed giants. I mean, yeah. yeah. There's another weird one. Oh, what is it? There, There's another weird thing that happened here, but it's escaping me at the moment. It'll, it'll come to me. It happened down south. 
but like I said, it's it's charged. So I'm definitely, you know, I'm always collecting stories, and and I have a bunch, I have a bunch that I've written. I just, you know, I don't have enough yet for a book. But I'm working on okay. it. I I can see it, so it'll come about. Uh, I see it, it very will come powerful. About. Yes, it will come yeah. about. Um, now, this is you know great for me, you know personally, because uh, as you know, if you're into these type of mysteries, uh, there aren't that right. many people around you locally that you can have conversations with. You know, like people attend my talks mm. or you know, my workshops, and I'll meet people there or my my courses. Uh, but aside from that, it's very uh, you know, difficult to uh, talk about this stuff with anybody. Um, I've been lucky lately. People are stopping me in the streets in this in this town, Tenafly, and in nearby towns, ask me when I'm going to do uh, public talks again. So I guess the universe awesome. is not going to do that. Yeah, so I'm going to I'm going to yeah, record you. Huh? And, uh, have the same experience. No, I'm going to record them this time, though. I I, I never record yes. my stuff. I should. Uh, so I'm going to you start to do that. Um, you have spread this information through your magazines, through your podcast, through uh, television, through uh, you yeah. know all sorts of different uh, uh, platforms. And you've even been on mm-hmm. uh, Ancient Aliens. Uh, I seem to remember seeing you on some of those episodes as well. No, I. I wasn't on Ancient Aliens. I was on a, a show called What on Earth. Okay, okay. Yeah, and so what we would do is we'd look at satellite photos. Basically, you know, they'd send me a bunch of satellite photos, and I had to analyze them, and then I'd go on the show and be like, yeah, that looks like it could be Atlantis. <laughs> it was fun. Well, I enjoyed it. convincing because I saw, I saw some of those, and uh, um, yeah. you were very uh, convincing. Um, do you have, you. like, like I have a, uh, you know, I, in my mind, you know, I have like a, a destination to this journey. Do you have one? Because you've been on this road uh, publicly much longer than I have, and you're very intelligent and very articulate. Do you have like, uh, do you want to create a television show? Do you want what? What do you have? Those? You know, um, the 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 universe works in mysterious ways. Yeah. Does. And the way the way that so no I don't want a TV show I I actually struggle with a podcast uh, I, I'm, I I'm never, not very self huh I never would have guessed that I've been on a couple of your podcasts and you've been on mine and again you're you're very articulate you're very passionate when you're speaking and uh, you know a lot about what you're talking about and that that comes across so very clearly. You know, I I never um, I've been I've been uh, approached by people who wanted to do TV shows, and I did the screen test. Uh huh. But nothing ever happened. But I, I don't particularly <clears throat> want to have a TV show or anything. But you know, it's funny when you you ask me that. Really, at this point in my life, I don't really have an end goal. Okay. Um, I think for me, I think for me, it's more of a process of gnosis, just yes. wanting to know everything. Um, the the only end goal that I actually have, I have two. Uh, there are two places that I want to go to before I die. And one is uh, one is um, is Barrow, Alaska. Mm-hmm. And the 
And the other one uh, is the Altiplano in Bolivia. I want to go to Tijuanaco. Tijuanaco is on my list, too. It should be on everybody's list. That place is just very strange. I was going to use an expletive, but it's just expletive strange. (laughs) (laughs) But, you Um, know, for me... For me, Barrow Barrow is actually important because I want to see I want to see the end of the world. You know, I've traveled all over the world and I, I've uh-huh. seen a lot of stuff, but I've never I want to see the end, the end of it, where it ends. And I think Barrow is about as close as you can get because pretty much it's the northernmost city in the U.S. and in North America, uh-huh. actually, I believe. And you just stare out into the Arctic Sea, and there's nothing beyond until you traverse the North Pole and come down on the Russian side. So I have a kind of need to do that. But beyond that, no, I I think for me it's more about Gnosis. It's just about trying to figure it all out. And that is an awesome uh, uh, place to be. Much of my journey has been like that. It's just uh, that the journey is the important thing. And uh, um, if you're trying to know all this, you know, trying to know everything, it never ends. So you have that satisfaction. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I'm not, you know, I'm not really a self-aggrandizer and I'm not a narcissist. So, you know, I'm I'm a low-key, easygoing guy. So for me... You know, the thought of having a TV show, you know, I just, I mean, I'm open to it. If anybody's listening, sure, I'd love to do it. It'd be a trip, but I don't, I don't feel the need to like be a number one speaker at a conference. You know, I've only spoken at one conference in my whole life, you know, so obviously I don't, I don't, you know what it is? I don't do good PR for myself. I just, I'm more concentrated on the, on the info than than trying to put myself out there. Um, well, the, the self that you put out there is, uh, you know, again, very uh, passionate, very uh, informed, and very articulate. So uh, uh, I you. have thoughts your journey will take you to very many interesting places. And if, if the journey is your thing, you, you're in paradise. It is. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I figure the way that I figure is that I don't plan. I mean, I'm like, I'm a human being. And this is one of the things that I really try to get across to people is that, you know, I'm a human being. And so, you know, my, my interests drive me. I mean, there is pretty much, you know, if I'm not working or doing family stuff, you know, this is pretty much me, what I do. And, and so I figure that, that somewhere the universe has an end goal. I just don't know what it is. So instead uh-huh. of like for instead of forcing an end goal and driving uh-huh. toward that, like when I was younger and I was a workaholic and I was like, oh, I'm going to be a VP and I'm going to do this and this. You know, one day I woke up and I said, you know, that's just BS. I'm just going to kind of go with the flow. And if you just go with the flow, amazing things happen. Yes, they do. And can I tell you a story real quick? Yes, we have uh, five minutes. Okay, I can do it in like two minutes. Awesome. So one time I, I was with my friend Chris, just to tell you how this works, and, and argue to your listeners, you know, don't don't predispose yourself to have an objective. Kind of just soak it in and, and see what happens, right? So mm-hmm. one time I, w- I went to Portland uh, to see what – 
my friend Chris lives outside of Portland, but we met up in Portland and we just kind of decided to just wander around. I mean, he's not from Portland. So, you know, we got kind of lost. Um, there were a few things that we wanted to do. There's this place that makes really great, um, this really great kind of sandwich. Well, we went there and had the sandwich. It's a Reuben, amazing uh-huh. Reuben, right? And then we're just kind of wandering around and just nothing particular to do, just kind of wandering around. And then slightly inebriated at, at various points, but whatever, it's all in good fun. And uh-huh. So we're walking, we're walking down the street, and there's a pulp. There are these people dressed in green, and they're pushing a pulpit down the street. And it's a pulpit, like from a church, and it has big speakers. And we couldn't hear what the guy was saying, so we were like, "Oh, there's green dressed up people. Let's go pushing a pulpit. How bizarre is that? Let's go check it out." So we go uh-huh. down there. Oh, I remember the thing about Mount Diablo. I'll tell you later. But, okay. but um, we're we're walking down the street, and it turns out that it was ElfCon. And it, we didn't Over. know that ElfCon was happening. Yeah, so we joined the elves, and we walked all throughout <laughs> Portland, you know, hanging out with people dressed up as elves. But the important part so cool. to me, yeah, but the important part to me is that there's, you know, there's no paranormalness in that. But it was an adventure, and and I got to participate in that adventure because my mind was open, and I didn't Very just I didn't go there. Yeah, just be open to the universe. You know, it I, it's amazing I what happens. Uh, because at this point, perhaps I am being too rigid in my uh, um, planning, so I will. Heed that advice. Thank you. How can folks enter your world, Olaf? Paranoiamagazine.com. Paranoia Magazine on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook, of course. I I actually talk to people. Um, And then (laughs) Paranoia Mags on Instagram. You can see my obsession with with, uh, Cold War military brick uh, projects, T-72 tanks and fighter planes, helicopters, and and I go to different weird places and take photos and videos and, you know, it's just, it's a little glimpse into the weirdness of my mind. Well, uh, it's an awesome mind. And uh, um, I personally you. like uh, uh, strange uh, adventures. I've had elves on the show before too. Uh, so they're so phenomenally interesting. And uh, it is. Thank you very much. Olaf. I'm looking forward to the next time you're on. Absolutely. Can't wait. And thanks to all who've joined us on today's adventure. Um, This is Hercules Invictus and Olaf Phillips wishing you awesome adventures and joyous journeys. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid.